Well, hey, you're listening to the Resonate Church Monmouth Sermons Podcast. Whether you're a part of the Resonate family or you're just a friend of ours tuning in, we're so glad that you're here. We are a church here in Monmouth, Oregon that exists for the college campus and our broader community. So if you'd like to learn more or get further connected, head over to resonate.net slash Monmouth. Otherwise, hope you enjoy today's sermon. Uh, I hope you guys are doing well. Glad you guys are with us. Um, For those of you guys who maybe don't know or haven't met, my name is Brandon, and I get to serve on staff here at Resonates. Um, And this evening, I have the honor of getting to open up God's word with you guys. Uh, And I don't know if you guys can tell, a little disclaimer. Uh, I got to preface it. I'm fighting a cold a little bit right now, and so if it's a little uh, stuffy up here, uh, some sniffles here and there, that's why really hoping I don't start coughing. I'm fighting that right now. So just a heads up, fair warning. Uh, yeah, we're, we're fighting this, though. We're getting through it. Tis the season for colds. Um, hey, this evening, though, I, I am glad to get to open up God's Word. So if you guys have a Bible, have a journal, I encourage you guys to take that out, uh, take notes, and then, um, yeah, we're going to be diving into Matthew chapter 7 this evening. As we've uh, been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is standing before uh, his followers, before his disciples, uh, man, really doing some course correcting in this moment, uh, teaching them uh, how they are to live as citizens of his kingdom. Now, at the same time, there's people surrounding that have come in to listen to Jesus' teaching, and so Jesus is talking directly to his disciples, but also to those on the outside listening in. Uh, and so in his book, uh, in his book, The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, so the book, The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, author Eric Bargerhuff, uh, in this book, surveys an array of popularly botched just verses, like passages in the Bible, specific verses, verses that are misunderstood by believers and non-believers alike. And what tops his entire list uh, in this book from a survey is what we get to dive into tonight. So it should be fun, right? Uh, and that text, again, is going to be Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this evening. So again, if you have your Bibles on your phone or physically, or it'll be up on the screen. So Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a, the log in your own eye. You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's our text for this evening. In Bargerhuff, he says that this is by far the most frequently misapplied verse in the entire Bible. I'm sure maybe, yeah, we could, we could feel that a little bit. Uh, and so, in light of that, in light of it being number one on this list, How do we apply it then? How do we apply this to our lives if it's so misinterpreted and misapplied? Of course, we must not just simply ignore the words of Jesus. We can't do that. We can't ignore these words. We can't skip past this chapter uh, or this text. Because Jesus has a call on our lives today, just as he had a call and a word for these disciples thousands of years ago. He also has a call for us. And so these words of course, that are found in the Bible are often used against Christians and against the calling out and highlighting of sin. 
I'm sure uh, we've maybe seen on the Facebook arguments, uh, this, this verse is thrown around, like, judge not, lest you not be judged. These, these verses, this verse is just thrown around. But even within the church, even within the church and relationships within the church, we can get stuck. We can get stuck in this passage and with these verses. Uh, we struggle with this verse and what it means. And we as believers, uh, in regards to this verse and uh, this passage and this topic, we can kind of get stuck in two different ruts, two different ditches on the side of this road that Jesus is calling us to walk alongside. So the two ditches, I, kinda, I brought an image, hopefully uh, is a little bit helpful for us to see. So the first ditch that we can fall in is this ditch of passivity. So we read this text, uh, this judgment text, and we can fall into passivity. We see verses like these and see examples of people having hurt feelings, uh, and we halt shining a light on a fellow believer's sin and rebellion. And we are scared to point out the speck in someone's eye, their sin, uh, because we don't want them to have further hurt feelings or talk bad about us so other people don't like us, uh, or even we have fear that they might just walk away or even leave the church. We're scared, and we read verses like these, and we're stuck in fear. But that is not the call for the believer. That is a ditch that we fall into. But that's not Jesus' call for us today, is to just have a passive role in our relationships. We read the words, judge not, and take it as, well, I'll just let people live the way they want to. I won't talk to them, or I won't call things out. I mean, that's what we can get stuck in. But our call as Christians, call as Christians, is to unconditional love. We know that, we see that throughout the Bible, like we are to love unconditionally, not to unconditional approval. So yes, call to unconditional love, not call to unconditional approval. Meaning, we can love someone, we should love someone, but we might not always approve of some of the lifestyles or sins that they are stuck in. That's a good thing. And so, yes, we're going to dive into this a little more. Uh, Yes, we are called to judge and judge rightly and call things out in the lives of the believers around us. That's my thesis tonight, that we are called to judge. That biblical uh, judgment is a thing. Again, we're going to dive into that and look at what that means. But we are not to live in passivity and let our family go on sinning. That's opposite of Jesus' call. And then the other side, this other rut, this other ditch that we can fall into is probably a more evident one uh, when it comes to judgment, and that is the uh, ditch of aggression. We become overly aggressive with our judgments. Maybe we ignore what this verse is saying, and we are overly critical of others, and we attempt surgery. We attempt surgery with an ax rather than with a scalpel and being precise and gentle. And we know these people, we probably know some of these people that do that, that are just brutal and harsh. Maybe this person is sometimes you, it might be. Uh, Sometimes this person is me. Uh, But we see people throughout the world, throughout the church, using their knowledge, their status, voice, and just total misuse of the Bible in order to condemn others and shape people into who they want them to be and how they believe they should act. Aggression. And the side is full of pride that needs to uh, just 
to use the words that Jesus is saying, they need to notice the log in their own eye, their own sin. You know, we're going to dig into that. And but this probably, this aggression side is probably the side that the world sees the most and is most critical of, right? And this is often where the church gets its bad rep. Like, oh, the church is just full of a bunch of judgmental people. Because there's some aggressive people out there, right? But again, we are not called to be aggressive and overly critical either. And tonight, man, we are called to walk in this third way, to walk this road. So what does that look like? What does it look like to walk this middle road that God desires of us? So again, like I had claimed, judgment, judging others is in the Bible. It is biblical. We see throughout the Bible a call for the believer to help shine a light on the darkness and sin in a fellow brother or sister, a fellow Christian. There is a right and holy way to judge. Even Jesus says it. So let's look at a few instances real quick of where judgment is necessary and where Jesus approves of judgment. So sticking in Matthew 7, we're going to jump ahead to verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You see the wording here. Jesus is implying a healthy judgment will be necessary, right? In order to recognize these ravenous wolves, we must know what it looks like to have bad fruit or to have good fruit. To know them by their fruit means kind of have to assess uh, some judgment and assess their fruit. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Again, how are we to identify sin without some judgment? John 7, verse 24, still Jesus talking. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Okay, so Jesus is saying judgment is necessary. But again, it can get twisted. We've seen it get twisted. We must learn to walk this narrow road and not fall into these ditches on either side. So what does it look like? Is Jesus in this moment, as he's talking to his disciples back in Matthew 7, and he's talking uh, to many teachers, people that are, man, that are uh, misinterpreting and twisting Jesus' words in the old, in the law's words. So this is a moment of correction, of course correction, that's happening. Because they are living and missing the points of God's call. For us today, we must have a course correcting moment. So before we dive further into this, a quick little disclaimer. Uh, I know that this is maybe an odd subject, right? Kind of a weird subject, talk about judgment. We don't talk about that too much. And with this, with this kind of topic, there's a lot of different instances and nuances that can go with this. But that is where a humble uh, and eager-to-learn approach is necessary. And we, of course, we are not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect, but we must learn to, uh, to lean into God's word for knowledge, for discernment, for wisdom. And that is the foundation. The foundation must be God's word. We must know and understand our Bibles. And so my prayer uh, after tonight is that we go uh, to prayer, that we go to God's word, that we are spurred to learn more about 
God and how we are to live. Because only by the Holy Spirit within us are our words and our thoughts worthy of credit. We must look to the Bible. So there is a call on our lives as brothers and sisters to help our fellow brothers and sisters walk in holiness and walk in a life that glorifies God. And it's kind of a call for the Christian in our interactions with one another. So this requires lovingly identifying sin within one another's lives. Again, this can be touchy. This can be a little touchy. Uh, I know for me, as I was even reading through this and doing some studying, I was like, I'm a little offended here. Let's roll with it. Let's trust what God is doing. Let's lower some walls. Let's lower some pride, our fear, and allow Jesus' words to be good news for the rest of our lives. And so looking at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, uh, we see kind of three calls for us to walk in in light of this passage. To walk this narrow road, there are three calls for us, for the follower of Jesus. So three things. The first is a call to be judged. A call to be judged. Verse 2, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Again, Jesus did not prohibit or outlaw the judgment of others. We see that throughout his words. Rather, the call for us is one of just and fair judgment by a standard we would also like to be judged by. Oftentimes, in the aggression ditch, uh, oftentimes we fall into that because we fail to apply the same standard to our lives that we are holding others to. And then when we do judge ourselves or look at our own lives, we lower the bar and let ourselves get away with some things. So but if we were to understand uh, this reality, and this should lead us to extend grace to others rather than condemnation. As we read these verses, we shouldn't be aggressive towards others and then passive towards ourselves. We also see that in the second half of verse 2, that the measure we judge, we too will be measured. God will measure us according to the measure by which we held others to. So this should be a, a powerful motivation and a powerful conviction for us. And this should motivate us and convict us to be generous with love and forgiveness and gentleness and goodness to others, right? This should convict us in how we interact with others. And the other ditch that we can fall into is passivity with this, where we're scared to be judged back. We read this and we're like, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to call anything out. I'm not going to judge anyone because I don't want to be judged back. I don't want anyone poking and prodding in my life. But for a, for a moment, imagine what a church we would be and an impact we would have if we sought to know and understand our Bibles, apply it to our lives, desire others to apply it, and then they are also desiring for us to apply it to our lives. Do we see that? Do we kind of see a beautiful cycle that is happening within that? We desire others to walk according to the Bible, therefore we understand this passage, and thus we are glad when others hold us to the Bible. And that's a two-way street. That's what the cycle is supposed to look like. And, that's, and that is a church marked by grace and love for one another and an understanding of God's word. And that glorifies God. 
And that is a church that I personally would want to walk into, one full of grace and love and desire for me to live the life I was intended to based on the Bible, not based on personal preference or personal agenda. And so we cannot be aggressive and we cannot be passive. Again, we cannot be aggressive towards others and then passive with ourselves. So we be mindful of the fact that we ourselves will be judged and thus we should consider how we would want others to judge us. This leads into number two, a call to humility. Looking at verses three through five. Why do, you seek the, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, these kind of work together. These points, all, th- all three of these points work together. Man, but a posture of humility is incredibly foundational. It is so foundational. Uh, I figured we could use some humor in this moment uh, with this topic. And so for a moment, let's like look at this text and this image that Jesus is painting. I was thinking about this image. So much so that I figured, let's paint this picture and let's bring it. So I brought this picture uh, with us. That's what's happening. That is the image that Jesus is painting. Looks pretty weird, right? It's a pretty humorous image that Jesus is painting. Obviously, it's probably going to look a little more graphic than my image does, but uh, man, this is the picture that Jesus is painting. Think about that for a second. His brother, big old log in his eye, trying to point out this little speck, and this guy's like, dude, look at yourself. Like, what's happening? All right, we can take that off. It's enough of that. I can send that to you later if you want that. Put it as your background, maybe. Uh, But man, again, this is such a humorous image. But it is so real, right? It is real and and is so deep. But with this call to walk in humility, uh, we have to be careful. We have to be careful with this posture. Because humility is not something to be achieved. But it is a daily receiving of God's word and hand in our lives. And choosing to sit under his guidance and power. That's what it means uh, to respond to this call of humility. And this, of course, requires seeking and knowing his word. And so let's look at one of the, uh, man, just most emotional and beautiful and eye-opening passages we see in Scripture. And these two things go together. Let's look at John chapter 8. So in John chapter 8, we see religious leaders bringing a woman forward who had been caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus thinking that he would surely condemn her and that she would be stoned for her sin. Uh, And of course, she certainly had sinned. Jesus isn't ignoring her sin. And what he does is opposite of what these people thought he was going to do. What Jesus does is he points the finger back at those leaders, back at those calling out this woman. And he says to them in verse 7, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. If we know, if you know the story or as we read on, 
the stones began dropping. Stones began dropping, and these guys were walking away one by one by one. Again, man, look at yourself. Look at the log in your own eye. Look at the sin within your own, within your own life. And this, this would radically impact the way that we view and call out the sin in others and judge others. And Jesus is showing us uh, in Matthew 7 and in John 8 that we are far more tolerant to our own sin than we are the sin of others. We're far more tolerant of our own than others. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Jesus is gentle, but he calls that man a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to great matters at home, at home in his own person. Man, let's slow down in our aggression towards others. Let's slow down in pointing out the flaws in others. Man, would we have the humility and be humbled and sit back and assess the sins in our own lives? On the other end, of course, there's this draw to passivity as well. We can tell ourselves, I'm struggling with this sin, therefore I shouldn't point out anything in someone else's life. I'll just kind of distance myself and we start to take steps back. Maybe it's from our closest friend saying, "Ah, I'm dealing with too many things. Sorry, I can't really press into you right now. We take steps back. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is targeting our hearts and motivations We will never be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But as we walk alongside fellow believers, would we lead out in repentance? Would we lead out in asking others to shine lights on our lives so that we may see the logs that we're so oblivious to? So yes, still strive to see others be transformed. But don't sit in pride and ignore your own shortcomings. Press into being humbled by God and found in Jesus. And that leads us directly into the third call, which is a call to repentance. A call to repentance. Verse five, you hypocrites, first take out the log, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. First, take the log out of your own eye. First, identify the sin. Repent of the sin in your own life. Then you will see clearly to take the speck, to point out the sin in your brothers. Today, there might be some logs in our eyes, some sin in our lives. And again, we might not even see them. Or maybe we know of them, but we have yet to acknowledge them and bring them to the surface. We've yet to assess these things. But to walk in this middle road of healthy judgment, we must go before God, asking him to shine a light on our darkness, to remove the log from our eye. And we must pursue transformation so that we can clearly see. And this log in our eye is blocking our image, how we see And we must pursue transformation, guys. So kind of, uh, there's kind of two lanes of repentance that that can be at hand in this moment. 
two lanes of repentance for us to consider this evening, to go to God with. The first uh, kind of has to do directly with this topic, has to do directly with this passage. Uh, first, I want us, myself, I want us to assess our unhealth in judging others. How have we broken this command to judge rightly? How have we gone against Jesus' intention? I brought just a few examples of how we break this command. Maybe some of these will stick out uh, to you. And of course, this list is far from exhaustive, though. So we break this command when we think the worst of others. We break this command when we only speak to others of their faults. When we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. When we judge the hidden motives of others without graciously asking revealing questions. When we judge, judge, judge others without considering ourselves in their same circumstances. When we judge with the Bible those who are outside of God. When we judge while ceasing to seek the Bible for wisdom and discernment. When we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. I think those stick out to you guys. We must ask ourselves the question, how have you wrongly judged others? And of course, we have to ask the question of who? Gotta be real with ourselves, real with one another. Who have you wrongly judged? Is it a group of people that you've thrown a stigma on? That you're like, ah, I'm gonna sit back, not interact with these people. Who? Maybe it's an individual, a roommate, a spouse, a family member that you're gonna see in a week. Who have you wrongly judged? Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. We'll talk about that. Man, but whether you have kept judgment in your heart and in your head, or you have aggressively approached someone with a false motive, where can you repent of your shortcomings this evening? Who can you apologize to this week? Who is someone you need to apologize to? Whether, again, you've kept things in your heart and in your head. Maybe you've kept those things to yourself. Um, how can you ask, like, go to that person and say, hey, I've kept these things in my head. Maybe they're assumptions or expectations or things I've kept within my heart. I'm sorry. Ask them some questions to help defeat those assumptions. Or maybe it's someone that you have just taken an ax to and tried to point out some things in their lives without being gracious and loving and seeking first the heart of what's going on in their lives. Who can you apologize to? And the second avenue that, by which we can repent is, is generally, man, what sin in your life have you intentionally kept hidden? Where do you need to pull a trusted brother or sister aside and repent to them of the ways you have fallen short of God's desires? And with this, and would we pray for God to reveal to us the ways we have gone against his will and ways? Would we go before God saying, God, would you search my heart, shine a light on my life, and bring to surface the evil within so as we close, uh, I know some of you may be sitting here this evening uh, and you would say that hey, you're not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're sitting here this evening and you're, uh, you've had some doubts. You're, you're in a battle right now, maybe. Or 
Maybe you're like, oh yeah, I'm a firm follower of Jesus. Man, there's some stuff going on though. First, praise God you're here. I'm glad that you're here. I really am glad you're here. And I know uh, that this message has maybe seemed, and it is, pretty centered at the believer, the follower of Jesus. Uh, it is. And, but there is still an invite into action for you this evening. There's an invite for us all this evening. And the invite for you is an invite into grace and love. For there is a God who has created you and loves you and desires you to know him. And he loves you so much, though, that he sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and rise from the grave, defeating that death. And he did this because each one of us have chosen to go against him and his desires. And the world around us is hurting and is broken. That's by our own doing. And we have rebelled against God and seeked our own ways. And we seek substances to numb pain. We seek relationships to fill gaps within our hearts. We seek, we seek money for happiness. And we have this thirst within us. We try to quench that thirst with other things. And we seek out other things to try and bring us hope, bring us joy, bring us purpose in our lives. And I'm sure, as we know, these things fall short. Time and time again, they fade away even. They only last a little bit. And oftentimes, they even speed up the processes of pain and heartache. And these things have separated us from God. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and defeating sin and brokenness and in his resurrection, and we can walk into a new life that offers unity with God, that offers eternal joy, peace, and purpose in the one who has created us who knows us deeply, who is over all things and knows your future. You can have a relationship with him. So the invite for you, for us all, the invite for us is to repent of the brokenness and sin within our hearts, the things that we have run to outside of God, and turn to the cross of Jesus for hope and for restoration, to choose the ways of Jesus and walk this road of life. Stop getting stuck in these ruts. So family, the brothers and sisters sitting beside us don't need us to enforce our personal preferences on their lives or harshly criticize and condemn them. Man, we as a church, we as a family, we need a grace and biblical accountability to be the people that God has called us to be. So would we fight for that within this place? And then, would we go? Would we go to those outside of this space and sharing with them the good news of Jesus rather than sitting back, critiquing, criticizing, condemning the world? And would we go to them out of grace and love that which has been lavished on us? And for how are they to know of the good news and this life that can be offered to them unless we tell them, unless we go to them. And why would they listen if we do not love? Why would they listen if we did not lead and extend love to them and extend grace in our hearts? 
And so would we each feel the grace and love of God in our lives because of Jesus? And would that grace and forgiveness spur us to love one another and rightly judge according to the words of God, not our own, not our own thoughts, but seek the wisdom of God to resonate? And would we be a people who walk in humility and repentance for all of our days, striving to understand the words of God and apply them to every aspect of our lives for as long as we walk this earth? Would we lean to what it looks like to love one another and to call out the sins within one another and lead out in repentance? Let's pray.